Thanks for joining us for the special Mid-East Prophecy Edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. shares the Mideast Prophecy Update from an Arab perspective as he connects the dots of current events geopolitically with last day's prophecies biblically. It is our belief that the next event on God's prophetic clock is the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ. It is our hope that these Bible prophecy updates will not only ready you and steady you for His return, but that they will also encourage you to share the gospel with others in order that the rapture will not be as a thief in the night. The United States is living in unprecedented times. Today, Pastor J.D. continues to encourage believers with the truth that Jesus is returning for His church very soon. With the presidential election results still pending, people from opposing political sides are continuing to play nice. What will happen when the results are official? Now, don't forget to stay with us after today's Prophecy Update to learn how you can become a Facebook friend or watch the weekly Prophecy Update on YouTube. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's Prophecy Update as shared on November 1st, 2020. I want to talk about, and I'm sure you heard about, there's a really big election on Tuesday night. You heard about this, right? Yeah. Well, I want to share with you some serious concerns about what may happen after the presidential elections this Tuesday. I think you would agree that there's no shortage of predictions on the part of the so-called experts, all of whom see dark and dire days ahead. One need look no further than to what's really already taking place even before the elections to realize that said predictions may in fact be realized. On Monday, Zero Hedge published a most interesting article and they posed this question. Are we going to witness the worst national emotional breakdown in the history once the election is over? Quoting, right now, we are experiencing the calm before the storm. Many Biden supporters believe that a Trump victory would literally be the worst thing that could possibly happen to our country. But at the moment, most of them are quite confident that Biden will win. Likewise, many Trump supporters are absolutely convinced that we will plunge into a horrifying socialist abyss if Biden wins. But for now, most of them are convinced that the polls are wrong and that Trump will pull out another victory in November. So, with just a little over a week until Election Day, again this was last Monday, 
most Americans that really care about politics are pacified because they believe that a positive outcome is right around the corner. But soon that will change. And tens of millions of Americans will simultaneously melt down emotionally right in front of our eyes. I think that just about everyone realizes that this national temper tantrum is coming. It is just that most of those that deeply care about politics assume that it will happen to the other side. Meanwhile, the Washington Post is also deeply concerned about what this election may do to our nation. In a very long article that they just published, they discussed the fact that both sides are convinced that the wrong outcome will bring disaster. One week before Americans choose their path forward, the quadrennial crossroads reeks of despair. In almost every generation, politicians pose certain elections as the most important of their time. But the 2020 vote is taking place with the country in a historically dark mood, low on hope, listen to this, running on spiritual empty, convinced that the wrong outcome will bring disaster. I've never seen anything like it, said Frank Luntz, a Republican political consultant who has been convening focus groups of undecided voters for seven presidential cycles. Even the most balanced mainstream people are talking about this election in language that is more caffeinated and cataclysmic than anything I've ever heard. Emotions were definitely running high in 2016, but we have never seen anything quite like this. Most Democrats believe that Trump and his supporters are deeply evil. And likewise, most Republicans believe that Biden and his supporters are deeply evil. And of course, there are also many that are entirely convinced that all of them are deeply evil. When you have a nation that is this deeply divided, is anyone ever going to be able to bring us together in unity? It has been said that a house divided will surely fall. And at this point, our divisions have brought us to the verge of national collapse." End quote. What? It has been said? Excuse me, 
Do you know who said that? The Savior said that. That's my Jesus you're talking about. What do you mean? It has been said that a house divided. No, that was spoken by Jesus Himself. And it's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. And it's interesting because it comes on the heels of Jesus being accused, get this, of casting out Satan by Satan. And Jesus is like, really? Well, He doesn't say that, but it's kind of the gist of it. Are you kidding me? And, and we're told Jesus knew their thoughts, and He said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. That's who said that. Okay, pastor, what's your point? I think it would be appropriate for us to ask a question, and it's the what-if question. With respect to the United States, which is really much more like the divided states, being on the verge of collapse. If what Jesus said is true, and it is absolutely true, then wouldn't it stand to reason that as divided as this nation is, it's just a matter of time? I know what some of you might be thinking. It won't be the first time, certainly not the last time, that I would be accused of being an unpatriotic fatalist when I talk like this. It's not the first time I've talked like this. And by the way, if I may just parenthetically say that I love this country, and I hope you don't misunderstand me when I say this, but I love this country more than most, because my mother and my father, when I was nine months old, immigrated legally to this great country. And it was in 1963. And they fled the Middle East and the oppression from Islam in the Middle East to come to this great free country. And for five years they studied and they prepared for that day when they could officially become U.S. citizens. I was just a young boy at the time, and I'll never forget it. It was like it was yesterday. I'm standing there with my mother and my father with tears streaming down their face. There in that citizenship ceremony, as they pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, one nation under God, indivisible, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And they received their citizenship on that day. I tell you, I wonder sometimes if my parents had not come to this great country, 
if I would even be alive, let alone be saved. I love this country. But here's the thing, if I could just be so uncomfortably open with you. The question that I have to answer is the question that Peter had to answer. When Jesus asked him, do you love that more than me? Do you love these more than me, Peter? I know you love this country. Do you love this country more than me? I know this is tough stuff, but it has to be said. I spent the better part of this week praying and fasting concerning today, knowing that the subject matter that I would be talking about would be difficult. But I would suggest that one's answer to this what-if question may very well determine the level of disillusionment with the Lord. And if you'll allow me to, I'll explain what I mean when I say that. If and when something doesn't go our way, or the way we had hoped or even prayed it would go, disillusionment and disappointment always ensue. I'll take it a step further and suggest that oftentimes God is the one on the receiving end of the disappointment and the disillusionment. And lest one think that this could never happen to those who walk with the Lord, live for the Lord, hope in the Lord. Think Elijah. The account is in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. And to me, it is arguably one of the most astonishing passages ever recorded in the pages of Holy Writ. And here's why. Elijah, who prayed that rain would not come down, and that fire would come down, is now himself well down. And what's hard to wrap one's mind around is that this is Elijah we're talking about. This is the same Elijah that slew 450 prophets of Baal. Now, Elijah is running for his life with a contract out on his life, and we find him under a broom tree praying that God would take his life. What? What What in the world has happened to this great prophet Elijah, who heretofore was amazingly and mightily used of God? The answer, Elijah 
like many of us, have the propensity to become unspeakably discouraged and disillusioned when things don't go the way that we had hoped they would go. That's exactly what happened to Elijah. What had he hoped for? What was he praying for? Well, I would encourage you to maybe revisit these two chapters in 1 Kings, chapter 18 and chapter 19. Do you know what he had hoped for? I know this is going to jam some gears, but he was hoping to make Israel great again. He was hoping for the nation of Israel's repentance and the nation of Israel's revival. And it didn't happen. And it's even worse than that. If this weren't bad enough, he had also hoped that they would drain the swamp of Ahab, the most evil king in the history of the nation of Israel. And as for his lovely wife Jezebel, Elijah had hoped that they would lock her up. Oh, pastor, you're, you're really asking for it. I don't care. Bring it on. Here's Elijah. Now stay with me. Hear me out. He just calls fire down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, <laughs> This after the prophets of Baal are screaming and cutting themselves, themselves, and the blood is gushing out, and yet there's no response from their God, Baal, who is no God at all. And here's Elijah having some fun with it. Go ahead, because this is a contest on Super Tuesday. And he won the contest. Uh, Spoiler alert for those of you who don't know, he won. What was the contest? Oh, uh, it was a contest between the false god Baal and the true and living God. And here's the thing, (laughs) Elijah goes to Ahab and tells him, hey, I want you to bring your prophets down And let's have a contest. Let's settle this once and for all. And uh, let's go ahead and we'll get the sacrifice and we'll build the altar and we'll just douse it with water. And then you guys can go first and you can try to call fire down from your God to consume the sacrifice, which is very interesting, by the way. We'll talk about fire here more in a moment because the god Baal was known as the god of earth, wind, and fire. And you got to know, oh, by the way, that, if that brings to mind, uh, some of you are having flashbacks, so am I actually, I don't know why I went there, but that, uh, that group by that same name, uh, very satanic by the way. So this was their god. He was the god of the earth, the wind, and the fire. That's going to come up a little bit later. You already know where I'm going with this, right? 
you got to know that when Ahab hears this, he's like, oh, wait, so we're going to have a contest? <laughs> and we're going to call fire down from heaven? No way. Are you serious? Are you sure you want to do that? Because our God is the God of fire. <laughs> this is going to be great. Elijah's like, go ahead. So they're calling out, screaming out all day, and Elijah is toying with them. Um, hey, scream louder. Maybe he can't hear you. And this infuriates them. And then they scream louder, and then he says, wow, weird, yeah? Maybe he's on vacation? And then the ultimate, and this is true, and again, you can search the Scriptures for yourself. It's, it's very sanctified in the uh, in certain translations, but he actually says this to them. He says, you know, maybe your God is in the bathroom. <laughs> no, it's, okay, fine, just laugh at me like that. No, he says that to them. And that just infuriates them even more. And then finally, he says, get out of my way. Oh, let's pour more water on there. Continue to pour more water on there. So they douse this thing with water. And Elijah, one time, calls upon the true and living God. And the fire not only consumes the sacrifice, it consumes everything. The altar, everything. Pretty decisive. And then they all, they all go down on their face. Truly, the Lord God is God. Oh yeah, that's, uh, that's real genuine. I'd be on my face too. So then it's at this point that Elijah has the prophets of Baal slain. And then word gets to Jezebel. And she puts a contract out on Elijah's life and says to him that by this time tomorrow, the same thing you did to my prophets is going to be done to you. Now one would think that Elijah would respond with, oh really? Okay, we'll see about that. God, did you hear what she just did? Silence. God, did you just see? And God seemingly does nothing. And that's why I believe it is that Elijah runs away and hides in the cave. And the reason he's running away is because it didn't go his way. Because he thought for sure God is going to take out Ahab and Jezebel too, but he didn't. The Bible, though written long ago, is inspired by our Creator. God chose to speak His truth through ordinary men, but these men had their eyes fixed on their Heavenly Father. Their words hold a great deal of meaning for us in our world today, and maybe more so in the times we're in. 
Much of the activity of this world is mirrored in the pages of the Bible and is pointing to a new era that we need to be aware of. In Pastor J.D.'s weekly Mideast Prophecy Updates, he's been searching the scriptures and the news headlines and sharing with us what he's found. You can access these updates by heading to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and clicking on the YouTube link. Jesus will be returning to the earth soon to judge the evil that has been destroying it. And that return, friends, is drawing closer with each new day. Pastor J.D. tells us through these updates each week where we are in relation to Bible prophecy and how close our Savior's return just might be. No one knows the day or the hour this incredible event will take place, but we know from the Bible that we've been told what to expect in the moments leading up to this event. If we adopt a sense of anticipation in our daily walk with Jesus, we'll also gain with it an urgency to share the gospel message with the world around us. We're called to unashamedly boast about our Savior and plant the seed of hope which Jesus promises to water. Share Jesus with someone today and join us for another edition of the Mideast Prophecy Update right here on In Spirit and Truth.